is indeed the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And it is precisely that kingdom, that power, that glory, that hope uh, we're going to draw your attention to today. We're going to look today, I think there's some familiar words of our sister in Christ, Mary, the blessed mother of Jesus. Uh, I'm going to invite you to turn this first Sunday of Advent to Luke chapter 1. We're going to look at verse 46 to 55. We're going to have us to consider these, this praise that Mary offers to the living God and the words that she gives, because I think they're, they're very, very instructive for us, not only at Advent in terms of our mindset as we go through this time of year, but I, I am so deeply encouraged by the, just the overflow of Mary's heart as we see how the Spirit of God and the words that were given to her, uh, they're just full of hope and faith. And like I said, they are instructive for us as well as encouraging. So if you'd stand together, we're going to read from Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. I'm actually going to read, <coughs> excuse me, I'm going to read, from, uh, start, I'm going to start with verse 26. I'm going to read down through the angel's announcement to Mary, and then we will pick up with Mary's response. So starting in verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. When she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Now skipping ahead to verse 46, hear Mary's response. Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his great, of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. This is the word of the Lord. May he bless it to our hearing. Father, we ask simply for an increase of faith, 
And may it be that the delight and the joy that our sister Mary showed here in response to this great announcement of salvation and deliverance for your people, may it be that that would be ours as well. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated, brethren. Mary, as we see here, first thing I just want to start with this morning is by way of introduction is that our sister Mary, who was blessed and called to be the bodily mother of our Lord Jesus Christ. You notice that she did not, she was not one who had forgotten God's promises and covenant. She was one of those who was looking for in an eager anticipation and faith the deliverance and the salvation of Israel. We, we see this with, later with Simeon and with, with, with um, Anna, the prophetess, right, in Luke 2. And others, they, they believed that the Lord's promises that the long-awaited time was drawing near. They, they had heard the words of the Old Testament about the coming Messiah, the, the, the servant king who would come and would deliver and restore his people Israel. And while there were certainly many things they did not understand in fullness, things that were mysterious to them, yet they believed and they had put their hope in a coming Messiah and that he would do great things and restore his people. They were at this time, of course, under the oppression of the Romans. The Jews at this point were a people enslaved, not all in chains, but they were a people who were not free. They were being taxed heavily. They were people that were uh, being imposed upon by all sorts of draconian uh, measures that were in many ways a threat to um, their sovereignty, but a, a threat and were opposed to the uh, to the living God that they worshipped. Again, there were a great number of the Jews were not so, were not people of faith, but there was this faithful remnant, and Mary was among them. We see there who, who were longing for the, the uh, consummation, looking for the hope of Israel. She was not one who, you remember back in Deuteronomy chapter 6, one asked you to turn there, but when the Lord brought the people out before uh, as, as, as Moses was recounting and preparing uh, to hand the people off to Joshua, that precursor to Jesus to lead them over. You remember, we read in Deuteronomy 6, of course, there's the great command, Behold, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and your mind, and your strength. Jesus uh, clarifies that again in the New Testament. And Deuteronomy 8, you know, there's a warning there. Um, the Lord said to his people, when I've brought you into a land flowing with milk and honey and you take possession of houses that you did not build and vineyards that you did not plant and you see the goodness and mercy of the Lord upon you, do not forget, several times in Deuteronomy, he says, do not forget that it was the Lord who brought you in, that the Lord is the one who has done this, that it is he who is faithful, lest you fall into the idolatry of the nations around you, lest you come under his judgment and discipline. That's discipline and judgment is where Israel was at this point, right? Um, in many ways, though, uh, with Nehemiah uh, and with Ezra, they had come back to the land a remnant had, yet by and large, Israel was still in exile. And in a lot of ways, Israel was in many ways in exile still in their own land, right? 
they were in the promised land, but they were not, uh, they were there in, under oppression and slavery. So there was this hope, Lord, when are you going to act? When are you going to do something about this situation and keep your promises that we've all read about and believed in the Old Testament? We have not, Mary was among those who said, we have not forgotten, we will not forget, we will not capitulate to the ways of the world around us. We're going to hold fast in faith to the living God and wait for your salvation, O oh God. With that kind of heart then, Mary, we read here, when the angel shows up and gives her this great announcement. And, and it's interesting that, you know, as we read this, I'll make this point as a way of beginning today, that the goal of all that the Lord reveals to us about his character and his works is what we said, that we would love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. The idea of loving him, meaning to value him as our supreme object in our affections and our values, that he would be our treasure both internally in our spirit, but also manifestly before the world, that God and the greatness of God, the goodness of God, that he would be visibly displayed as supreme in the way that we live. That's what faith is. That our theology would give way to doxology, right? To devotion. The theology, the truth about God's character and his works, is supposed to be the fuel of doxology, praise, and of devotion, which is the obedience of faith and of hope and love that says, I trust in God, I will follow God, I will wait on God, I will hope in the Lord. Reality is, brethren, that, you know, by and large in the Christian world today, you know, if you see anything like me, you've seen kind of two prevailing, by and large, dominant things. On the one hand, in so much of the evangelical world, with some notable exceptions, just speaking broadly, in so much of the evangelical world, whether it's just, you know, Bible-believing evangelicals or maybe a little more charismatic brethren, but there tends to be so often, you know, uh, th 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 there tends to be emotion, of, you know, deep affection, but it's devoid of being anchored on truth. And so it kind of gets blown to and fro, like winds tossed here and there, like little children. There's the kind of immaturity that Paul talks about in, in Ephesians 4. It's not anchored. It's just emotionalism. On the other hand, you know, often reformed churches, again, with some very notable exceptions, and I pray to God that we're one of them. They oftentimes, or high church, they oftentimes can slip into a, 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 almost a nominalism or just a, 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 a glorying, a boasting in right theology, and right theology is the necessary anchor, as we're going to see, a fuel for our doxology, but it becomes an end unto itself. Theology and having the glorious confession in our Westminster Confession, which is glorious and it's marvelous. But brethren, as we're going to see in Mary today, the goal of God's truth and all of his word about his character, his person, and his works is to fuel praise. And as a result of praise, to fuel praise, doxology, as well as to fuel devotion, the obedience in true sincerity of faith. 
that says, I will follow God and wait on him, and he will not fail because I trust him and he is righteous. So brethren, that's what I want us to see. What the Lord would have you to see today is that God is faithful to his promises. He's faithful to his covenants and he proves his faithfulness by his works of provision and salvation. And in response to that, he calls us to exalt him with our soul, our mind, will, and affection, our lips and our lives, and in exalting him to exult in him in our spirit, in the deepest part of our being, declaring by our lips and by our lives our faith in Him and our love for Him that He is supreme and that the entire world should come and follow us because God is that great and that good. So here we go. Let's just look at a couple things today. Number one, look at our sister Mary. Look at verse 46 and 47. Look at her delight and the great worth of God. Notice what she says here. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. In response to the angelic word to her that the one she was going to bear would be the son of the Most High God who would reign over Jacob, the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom would be no end. He would be great and have the throne of David. In response to the word that Mary, you are going to be the one chosen of God to be the blessed human agent of, bring, uh, of this great honor. Mary's response was to break out in just this glorious doxology that expresses devotion. Look at the, again, my soul magnifies. Now, I will tell you as we look at this, this is one of those passages, I know Ashton recently asked me about this at one of our Theology on Taps, so I'll, I'll be brief, but you notice she distinguishes here and I think deliberately, she says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. Ashton asked me recently about whether we hold to a trichotomist or a dichotomist view of soul, spirit, and body. And I will tell you, for my part, and I, and I, and I believe this accurately, we hold to trichotomy. You don't need to know that word. The idea is that I believe the scriptures clearly distinguish between the body, the soul, and the spirit. Let me give you a couple examples of this. Number one, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Verse 23, the Apostle Paul says there, and prays for the uh, uh, Thessalonian church specifically, said, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Now that's a prayer in itself. <laughs> that's the kind of bold prayer I want to pray. May he sanctify us completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. One more. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, the apostle there says, For the word of God is living and powerful, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, and the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. In both of these passages, I think there's clearly a distinction made between the soul and the spirit. So what are we to make of this? Number one, let's look at the word spirit. I'll do them kind of in reverse of the way Mary does. But the word spirit here, pneuma, biblically the function of our spirit, really the spirit is the deepest, as it were, the deepest part of our being. That immaterial but very real, just as tangible as my body and this thing and this pulpit here, the seat you're sitting in, so is your spirit, though unseen. It is the deepest 
part of our inner being, our inner man. It is related to the spiritual realm. It's the means by which we as men, by which we commune with that which is in the spiritual realm, that which is spirit. It enables us specifically in the scripture to communicate with and receive God himself who is spirit. Think of John chapter 4. The Lord speaking to another woman there, that woman at the well says, God is spirit. Those that worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Jesus tells us in John chapter 3, he reminds Nicodemus there that that which is born of the spirit, speaking of the Holy Spirit, is spirit, right? John 1, he, he, uh, we're told there that those who receive Jesus, who believe on him, have authority to be children of God. They were born of God, and we know that God is spirit. And the idea here is that when we were born again, when you were born of the Lord, whether that happened when you were little bitty and, and, and you, you're like so many and rightly that say, I don't remember a time when I didn't have faith. Praise God. That should be normative in his people. But regardless of when it happened, when you were born again and given a new spirit from above, we were born of the spirit of God in our human spirit. And this is different than our soul as we're going to see in a minute. Our spirit, which was dead in trespasses and sins, unable to perceive and commune with the spiritual realm at all. People who are dead in trespasses and sins, brethren, they are just bodies and souls. There is an eternal part. There's an immaterial part. That's why there can be a resurrection of unjust as well as the just. But brethren, they are spiritually dead. Their spirits have no ability to perceive spiritual light, to commune at all with things in the spiritual realm. But when you and I were born again of the Spirit, our spirit, in union with the Holy Spirit, was made alive. We received the Lord, and He came to live in our spirit, in union with our own spirit. There's a James 4, I won't ask you to turn there, but there's an interesting passage in James chapter 4 in which James alludes to this with regard to our sanctification. And, and, and let me just read this to you. James is talking there about you know the, the, uh, these Jewish Christians not loving the world um, and not being worldly and coveting worldly things uh, because that's enmity with God. But then he reminds them in verse 5, he says, Or do you think that the Scripture says in vain that the Spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? But he gives more grace, therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but God gives grace to the humble. That's an interesting passage. I know if you're reading the New King James, it says there, uh, that the, the scripture says, in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously. There's been a lot of commentary carries questioning about whether that spirit refers to the Holy Spirit or our spirit. I'm going to tell you, I think in context, it refers to ours. The idea, he's saying, look, yes, the allure of the world and, and, and there's the attractions of the world, which is enmity with God. But he's saying, don't go that way. Don't buy the lie. And he says, yes, understand the spirit by nature. Our spirit does yearn jealously. It tends toward the things of the world left to itself. But God gives more grace. The spirit of the living God in union with my spirit keeps me from going this way and going towards righteousness. That's why he says God gives grace to resist the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And he says, submit yourself to God. So the idea here is that, look, yes, my spirit 
maybe left to itself apart from abiding in Christ and being kept in that narrow way, even as a believer, my spirit might drift. But God gives more grace. My spirit is not left to itself, but rather being born again, I'm in union with the Holy Spirit that dwells in me, and you are too. He gives more grace. That's why God says he resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble, the grace to walk in truth, to not, to be, to not go in the way of the world and the flesh and the devil. So praise God for that. Mary says she praises God in her spirit, but then he, it also talks here about the soul. The soul, biblically, the idea behind the soul is simply, the word is literally psyche. That's the Greek word. And it is, it is, is it word, the seat of what we are. It's our personality, composed of our mind, our will, our affections, maybe in many ways. The means by which we engage with the world around us, right? It's how we express what's in our innermost being. God's purpose in creating human beings with a spirit and a soul was so that we would receive and commune with Him in our spirit and then express our delight or express what's going on in the spirit by means of our soul. Our mind, our will, our affections would emote. That's why we, we sang earlier, for example, about Psalm, Psalm 103. Remember we sang that. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Don't forget all of His benefits. Psalm 34 speaks in a very similar manner. It says this, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. The idea is that my soul, the seat of my mind, my will, my emotions will exalt the Lord, because of what's going on in my spirit. So if you were to ask me, Steve, can you, by, can you give us a clear definitional distinction of that division of soul and spirit where one begins and the other ends? No. I'm told in Hebrews, though, that the Word of God can get right in between those. Right? But brethren, what Mary is doing here is she is exulting in her spirit, which is alive and born again, and it's coming out of her soul expressed in delight and exalting God. You see that? What a glorious thing. And she says here, my, my, the overflow of my entire being, as it were, is rejoicing in God. It's rejoicing in the Lord the Lord God of Israel, and that spirit born again of the Lord influencing and informing my soul is rejoicing in God who is my Savior. She rejoices in the character of God, but also then in the acts of God and His great salvation. Now I will say, um, uh, well, let me just give you an example. One of the uh, ways, you've heard me mention this many times in the past, but one of the songs, I, my, my favorite songs at Christmas, uh, when we go into Advent season, uh, I always love to pull out Michael Card. Um, if, you, if Michael Card is not on your playlist, get him there. <laughs> His stuff on Christmas, on Advent, is just marvelous, and it is rich. 
theologically sound, and he does this. He overflows into exaltation. One of the songs he has is a song called To the Mystery, and this is a perfect example of what's going on here with Mary. It says here, When the Father longed to show a love that he wanted us to know, he sent his only Son, and, and, and so became a holy embryo. No, no fiction is fantastic and is wild. A mother who was made by her own child. This hopeless, seemingly hopeless babe who cried was God incarnate and man deified. Because the fall did devastate, our Creator will now recreate. And so to take our sin was made like us so that we could be like Him. So there's the theology. But then listen to where He goes. He says, That is the mystery. It's more than you can see, to say the least. <laughs> Give up on your pondering. And fall down on your knees. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't consider and contemplate the great truths. But he's saying the end of all of this is not to spend the next month pondering the great mysterious truths of the incarnation. Brethren, the goal is that you would believe the things of which he speaks. And that we would, of all times of the year, we would fall down and say, Lord... I will overflow in doxology and praise for them. My soul will magnify the Lord. My spirit will rejoice in the Lord my God, my Savior. And as the obedience of doxology, then like Mary, it will give way to devotion, saying, Lord, because of what you have done, I will follow you. And I will hold fast to you even as I trust you to hold fast to me in obedience of faith because I know who you are and because you are faithful, which leads to the second point then. Mary doesn't only delight in God's great worth, but she delights here in God's works. Look at the rest. We'll go quick through this. The works, which she's going to talk about in verse 48 to 55, are the fuel for what she starts with, for the worth. The theology that drives and fuels her doxology and her devotion to God. Starts in verse 48 and 49 by speaking of God's great works to Mary herself. Look what she says. She says, For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. That's what the angel told her, right? She said, You will be blessed among all people. God has set a particular honor upon you. And she says, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. This may go without saying, but it probably is worth saying. Um, this, is not, this is not a proof text for Roman Catholicism's version of Mary. And I will tell you, brethren, uh, Mary would be aghast at what the Roman church has done with her. The idea that she would be uh, considered, um, you know, immaculate in her conception having sin, you know, being born sinless, or that she would be even further considered a mediatrix between uh, the, her son, Jesus Christ, and between the people of God. Brethren, not only do you not see that here, but the things we're getting ready to read here clearly indicate Mary understood she was in need of this little one's salvation as much as everybody else. She needed a Savior. God, my Savior. My deliverer, if she was immaculate, had no sin, she had no need for a savior, but she rejoiced in a God who was going to be God, my savior. And I assure you, by her devotion here, Mary would have been aghast at the idea of people praying to her instead of praying to that great high priest, Jesus. 
That being said, Mary delights and she rejoices in what God has done for her. She refers to her, self, her lowly estate and says she is God's maidservant. This suggests three things, I think. Number one, that her family was poor in Judah. Probably was. We, we know that. And also that she herself was, in many ways, considered either least in her father's house. As if, you know, she had been under some sort of particular contempt or disgraced among her relations, maybe unjustly. I, I think as you look at Luke chapter 1 and you put it up next to Matthew chapter 1, what I think is going on here is Mary's words here, you remember, they come as she's gone to visit Elizabeth, right? By this time, not only had the angel come, but what we read about back in Matthew chapter 1, about she had received the angelic announcement, and then at the very end of that, in verse 38, in Luke chapter 1, it says Mary... Uh, and it says, the angel departed from her, and then she went and arose and went into the hill country with haste. Right? So she goes to visit Elizabeth. But at, right in between there, we, I think is what happens with Matthew, in which Joseph had found out about this. And you remember what Joseph, being a just man, Matthew says, he was minded to put her away, not because he had disdain for her, but because he didn't want to make a public example. He you know, looked like she got pregnant out of wedlock, and he was like, I want to preserve her, my name and her name. You know, this wasn't a disdain. Joseph is referred to as an honorable man because he was wanting to protect Mary, her name and reputation. And yet the angel comes and so on, and we know, know that story. But Mary, undoubtedly, even with her own home, how do you think her parents felt about all this? We've got a daughter who, she's come and told us that this little baby in, inside of her is of the Holy Spirit. I don't know, but I kind of get the exception that probably within her own house, Mary, she was struggling. She was under a lot of disdain and contempt, having brought shame on the family and lying about it to their perception to boot. So here she is. She goes and visits Elizabeth, and Elizabeth comes and says, remember those, those marvelous words right before that she visits Elizabeth, and Elizabeth says, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And you remember... This is a, 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 the Holy Spirit giving this insight to Elizabeth. And Mary, hearing this, hears a confirmation again of the angelic word. Mary says, that's right. Despite all the doubts of my family and, the, and, and, and the, maybe the shame that they say I've brought and the contempt that's being poured upon me for what they say I have done, the Spirit of the living God has now given, my, uh, given Elizabeth a confirmation of what he told me. So Mary's response then is this exaltation. She says, the Lord has visited me in my low estate. In the midst of my contempt, in the midst of the disdain for me, and the doubts about me, about the truth of my testimony. There's this little girl saying she's had an angelic vision. <laughs> and yet the Lord has vindicated me, and he has confirmed it through Elizabeth. She's rejoicing in God's goodness. I am the maidservant of the Lord. I am his maidservant. What faith this young woman had. Henceforth, just as the angel said, and just as Elizabeth just said, henceforth, I believe all generations will indeed call me blessed, favored and graced, honored of the Lord, because the Almighty has done great things for me. This is just Mary reveling in the reality. 
despite all that's against me in my father's home, despite all of the doubts against me and all the enmity that's been heaped up against me and, and against my character, God himself has given me a sure word and he has promised and he has set me on high. He has blessed me. Oh, praise to the living God. I love what Matthew Henry says here. He says, God is a being by himself and he manifests himself to be so. He is unlike any other being in the world, and He's supreme. Receives this, and especially in the work of our redemption and His salvation and deliverance, both from spiritual as well as visible enemies. He that is mighty, even He whose name is holy, Mary says, has done to me great things. Glorious things may be expected from God, who is both mighty and holy, not only for Mary, but for all who call upon him in truth. And that's the second thing, because you notice in verse 50, Mary moves from God's great works for herself to speaking about God's great works for all who fear and honor and trust in him. Look what she says in verse 50. Here's the principle. If I was going to tell you, what is the key principle in this whole thing? Look at verse 50. God's mercy, that is his chesed, his loving kindness, is on those who fear him from generation to generation. So not only will Mary be blessed, and all generations call, him, call her blessed of the Lord, but here's the principle. She says, this is way bigger than me. This is the way God deals with all who call upon him, who fear and honor him, hope in his promise, believe his word, and wait for it in faith to all those who doing so are in the eyes of the world. 1 Corinthians 1, God has given the base things of the world to put to shame the things that are exalted and the lowly things, the things that are high. It should remind us here, uh, the, the, you know, the things that Mary says here about sending away the rich and exalt. The things that she talks about here is just what God has said. 1 Corinthians 1, this is what Christians are, brethren. Not many mighty, not many exalted, not many esteemed in the eyes of the world, but it pleased God to take us, ordinary runts like you and me, Yet while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And as if that weren't enough to exalt you and I to priests and kings in the courts of the living God. Brethren, you have been blessed and you will be blessed, not because you are any good in yourself, but because just like Mary, we who are lowly servants, we who are despised of the world, God has said, I am going to put blessing upon you from generation to generation. Whereas with Mary, he gave her the honor of carrying the, the babe child. For us, brethren, he gives us the honor of living for and proclaiming the name of that Lord Jesus. He gives us the honor of an eternal inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. What a glorious thing for us. His mercy, his loving kindness surrounds those as with a shield who fear him from generation to generation. That's the principle I want you to get today. Specifically, Mary does give some specifics. I'm not going to dwell long on these. Just look at the examples. This same honor, first of all, Mary makes, of course, the, the idea of, of being a mother in a maternity to a son of promise that was bestowed upon her. We have also seen this already before. Not to the, the son of promise, but to others. Think about Hannah. 
I mean, if we read 1 Samuel 2, 1 through 10, you can see Mary is clearly in the spirit, as it were, channeling Hannah here. The, the resemblances between Mary's Magnificat and what Hannah says when she receives word and she bears uh, Samuel, who would be a great and mighty priest and judge among the people of God. This Hannah who had called upon the Lord, who was despised by Penina, right, the other wife, because of her barrenness, and yet the Lord did great things and lifted her up. I mean, Elizabeth, right? How gorgeous. Elizabeth was childless and barren, yet in her old age, the Lord had done these things. And, but you read 1 Samuel 2 and the words of Hannah. Hannah doesn't just simply speak of Samuel, but she, in faith, speaks about what God has done and how Samuel is going to be pivotal in God's kingdom purposes and his redemptive purposes for his people. And that he's honored her. And Mary speaks the same way. She goes way beyond just the child to what the implications of this are. And she clearly understands and has been reading, hearing every synagogue. She's been hearing and believing the words of the scrolls of the Old Testament that have been read to her. Let me just make a clear point, brethren. Little peasant girl Mary, lowly maid servant in a house despised in Judah. And yet, week after week, she's been hearing the words in the synagogue the words of Moses, hearing the histories. And you know what? She believed. She received and she believed. That's an exhortation to all of us. Brethren, what a marvelous thing it is that you and I, not only on Sundays, but every day you have the word of God available to you. Brethren, let me exhort you just pastorally. Brethren, I would exhort you, whether it's by reading it together as families, individual, or even just putting it on and just hearing. Faith cometh by hearing, right? Get your Bibles going. <laughs> I don't want a day to go by in your homes where either by reading or at least by hearing, maybe you put on your audio Bible, but just hear the Word of God. Let it just mar marinate in it like Mary did, right? Let the words just sink into your soul. Train your children just in the habit of saying, hey, you know what? Even just, we're just going to sit here for a minute, and we may just be quiet, but we're just going to put on and listen to the Word of God. Or Daddy's just going to read it for a few minutes, and we're just going to listen and hear and ask God, give us faith to believe. Because that's what Mary's doing. This, what you read from Mary is just simply a young woman who heard the Word over and over again, and she believed, and therefore she was ready and waiting in, in, in obedient faith to follow the Lord Jesus wherever He led. I think it's marvelous. It's just glorious to see Mary's response here. And she says that this is the way the Lord deals with all who call upon him. It's not just me. He's going to, for all who call upon him, we're going to see that the Lord will, in fact, in due time as we pray and seek him and we wait on him, he will show strength with his arm. Right? The Lord... It was Isaiah 52.10, the Lord has made bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations. He will do that as we wait on him and as we pray, Lord, would you scatter the proud in the imagination of their hearts? Would you put down the mighty from their thrones? Would you exalt the lowly and fill the hungry with good things? Send away those who are rich in themselves, who trust in their riches. Send them away empty. Let me also say that this is a good exhortation, brethren, to believe all of the scriptures and to pray as Mary, to pray in precatory psalms. 
It's okay to pray this way, as I said. Pray, just as Mary said. You say, well, what does that look like, Steve? Well, I'm not going to have you turn there, but just go read Hebrews 11. It's a whole chapter full of exactly what Mary's talking about here. God scattering the proud. God raising up the lowly. Right? Of God putting down the mighty and, and, and scattering the proud and filling the hungry. It's those who, by faith, followed in His ways. It's those who had a faith that itself was. The faith was the evidence of the things unseen for which they hope. It was the substance, the very substance of reality that made the things in the spiritual realm, made them tangible, by which they hoped and they waited and they dwelt as, as strangers in the land of promise like Abraham did, by which Moses left behind the riches and the passing pleasures of sin in Egypt for he was looking for that treasure in Christ. He esteemed him to be of greater, uh, the Christ and his people and the reproach of Christ to be greater than the things in Egypt. It was that same faith by which many, at the end of chapter 11, were ultimately able to suffer in Jesus' name and overcome and testify in their death of whom it says there are they, the world is not worthy of them. They being dead still speak. Brothers and sisters, what Mary is talking about here is the obedience of faith. And what does that look like? We close with this. Look at the last two verses. Because Mary specifically closes here by speaking of God's great works for all of his people, the true seed of Abraham and Israel. Look what he says. says, He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, in remembrance of his loving kindness as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. So all that Mary is saying here is she's saying, look, what just happened to me this promise that the angel Gabriel gave that I'm going to be the bearer of the Son of the Most High <laughs> who will sit on the throne of David and his kingdom forever. Therefore, he will also be called the, the Son of God. That this honor that has been bestowed on me is not about me fundamentally. This is about God fulfilling the promises he made to Father Abraham and to his people. Well, brethren, I just remind you what did Jesus tell us about Abraham? John chapter 8, I think like verse 48, says, Abraham believed in me. He looked forward to my day, and he was glad. Right? You say, well, where does it say that? And where does it say that in Genesis? <laughs> you see, brethren, Abraham understood. He understood that the promise to him was way greater than just the land of Canaan. It was the whole world. And he understood by faith that the living God who appeared to him and called him to go out into the land of promise to seek a heavenly city, to believe and trust, dwell as a sojourner there, that the Lord God would give it to him, that Lord God who appeared, the angel of the Lord who appeared and said, I'm going to give you a son of promise, Isaac, that Abraham who met Melchizedek, the king of Salem, and clearly perceived more than just what was immediately there, as Hebrews says, that Abraham saw and looked for Jesus' day, and he was glad. And as we said in previous weeks then, who are the seed of Abraham? Who is the true Israel? Galatians 3 tells us unequivocally that it is those who were of faith 
whether Jew or Gentile, who are the seed of Abraham and heirs according to the promise. We're told Hebrews chapter 2, remember we read this last week, that Jesus became like as we are, and he was uh, not only tempted, but he took on flesh and blood to be a merciful and faithful high priest. And it says in Hebrews 2, 16, that he is therefore uh, one that he gives aid to the seed of Abraham. Well, who are, again, that seed of Abraham? Brethren, that is you and me. One body, one Lord, one vine, Jew and Gentile, we as Jews, we as Gentiles, like wild branches grafted into that vine, the Jews like natural branches, many cut off. But Romans 11 even speaks of a day, which I believe is yet coming, in which a great mass of even long-lost Jews from the 12 tribes will be restored. But again, into what? A separate kingdom? A separate dispensational kingdom? No, into Christ, into one vine, one head, one Lord, to be brought into the true church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what we're going to receive, brethren? We're going to receive what was promised to Abraham. Brethren, in you and I, all nations, all peoples, all tribes, all tongues will be blessed. You will be blessed. The world will be restored. The kingdom of God as we pray on earth as it is in heaven. Brethren, does that get you excited? That's what Mary is talking about. And in all that, she says, I already... She uses past tense in a lot of this, but you see it? She's saying, because of what the angel just said to me, all these promises, they're as good as done. Isn't that great? He has done this for me, and he has remembered. He has fulfilled. He is all of these things. He has scattered. It's like, it, this hasn't even come to pass in fullness yet, but she's saying it's done. All the promises of God in him are yes and amen. Brethren, there's your hope. So what's the takeaway? And this we close. Brethren, I want you to do two things with me this season. Today, as we go forward, we're going to be looking at a lot of theology coming weeks. We'll talk about the incarnation and the greatness of God and the great and mighty acts that he has done. Brethren, as we do that, my yearning for you, for me, is that more than ever before this year, our theology will give way to doxology and devotion. As we go into 2022, I want us to be a people that praises God loudly, boisterously, publicly, unashamedly. Saying with Mary, my soul rejoices in the Lord. My spirit, my, my soul makes its boast in the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. And that as we praise Him and delight in Him, that the overflow of that will be that we will trust and obey him in true devotion. Let's pray. Almighty God and Father, I thank you for these words from Mary, the one that you blessed, this dear, poor maidservant of the Lord, lowly and despised by her own household as well as in the world of no means, and yet you lifted her up and you set her on high and you blessed her and filled her heart with gladness and rejoicing at your great salvation and knowing that she was a part of it. Father, we too, we have been brought into your household. We too are the objects of your great grace and of, of, of unparalleled mercy. And Father, you have promised that you will do this not only now but from generation to generation. 
that we will be the blessed of the Lord as we walk and we remember and as we hope in you in faith that you will keep covenant with us. You will bring to pass in fullness, even as you already have uh, begun, you will bring to pass the fullness of all that was promised to Father Abraham in Christ, that seed to whom all the promises were made. So Father, may we not lose hope, but may we be enheartened and encouraged and may we be bold. May we be bold in our faith. May we believe and ask great things of you and expect great things of you because as you were for Mary, you are a God who blesses all those who fear you and hold to your name from generation to generation. So Father, we pray today, would you show strength with your arm? Would you scatter the proud in the imagination of their hearts? Would you put down the mighty from their thrones and exalt the lowly? Would you fill the hungry, the spiritually hungering, thirsting? Father, would you fill them with good things of the Spirit? And would you send those who are rich in their own esteem, who trust in their own riches or trust in their own spiritual uh, abilities, would you send them away empty until they are ready to come and drink of that fountain of life in humility? Father, we trust in you. Oh God, help us to trust in you more and more. Fuel our faith and our devotion with the fire of your spirit and your word, for we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.